Good to see everybody today. Welcome to Zion on Super Bowl Sunday. It's good to see still the seats are filled, uh, but uh, I love being here every single Sunday with all of you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, and this week we are continuing our series in Proverbs. Uh, I believe this is our fourth week in Proverbs, and what we've been doing the last few weeks is uh, we have been kind of building a foundation. Who is God and his relationship to us? What is wisdom? We went through the intro, and today we start uh, the first of the many topics that we're going to be talking about in Proverbs, and we are talking today about the fool. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and the, the fool is a really important one to talk about as a first topic before we get into the other topics, and we'll learn about uh, why that is, but uh, I, I think this is going to be a fun one for us to, to go over today. Um, but what I want us to remember is, if you were here for our intro, I said something that we need to kind of remember, and I may point us back here a few times as we go through the series, is that it's going to be really easy as we look through the different topics in Proverbs to think of other people. You know, I, I said the fool, and some of you already started thinking about uh, other people in your life that you may think are foolish. Uh, but what I want us to do during this series is resist the urge to look outward and begin to look inward. Let's be introspective in our hearts during this time and think, Man, Lord, where have I played the fool in my life? And you'll get some fun, um, get some fun life experience of where I have played the fool in my life, and uh, we'll be able to go uh, from there. But I want to we'll, we'll start off uh, just talking about who is the fool. The, there are several words used in Hebrew that we translate into fool. Uh, and some of them are used a lot of times, like 150 times in Proverbs. This is an extensive topic talked about in the book of Proverbs. And as we talk about all of our other topics, we will see the fool continue to reemerge uh, their ugly head throughout the series. Because uh, in a lot of the things that we do and a lot of the ways that we live, we see that the fool continually reemerges as somebody that we need to think about and somebody that just does not want to go away. And so the first thing in Who the Fool, if we wanted to capture uh, in society, we can say that the fool is in one word a menace, somebody that we don't like to have around. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 12, it says this, Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs, rather than a fool in his folly. Uh, any Discovery Channel people here, uh, you know that you do not take away the cubs from the mother bear because what will happen when you do that? Uh, you will get mauled, and you may die from that mauling. Uh, and what I love about Proverbs is some of the Proverbs, and we're, we're going to see this uh, just continue to get uh, funnier and funnier as we go on into some of the topics, is some of them are just like outrageously uh, comical in, in kind of the comparisons that we make. And so we start off with it is better basically uh, to meet a 
mama bear who just got robbed of her cubs than it is to meet a fool in his folly. See, the, the reason is, is because there are so many things that the fool does that you do not want to get caught up in the fool's lifestyle. So the fool shows no restraint. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, it says, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife or away from strife, but every fool will be quarreling, meaning that the fool is constantly getting into fights, into arguments, is, is fighting with other people, whether that physically, verbally, whatever, emotionally, the fool is constantly getting into these battles with others. They are quick to anger. In Proverbs 12, verse 16, it says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Are you one of those people that wear your emotions on your face and as soon as somebody says something, you just like, there are some people that I know right away if I offended them. Uh, they don't have to say anything. Their eyebrows just need to do, you know, a little bit something. Uh, but there, there are some of us that the moment somebody says something, we don't allow any time. We just react. Everybody knows the second that we get mad or our vexation is known at once. The fool that has a family, basically Proverbs says, woe to that family. It stinks to have a fool in your family because you cannot disown them. They are always around. They will bring sorrow, it says in Proverbs 17, 21. They will bring bitterness to those around them in 17, 25. They will bring calamity on their family in 19, 13. And yet still we'll see in Proverbs 15, 20 that the fool, even though they bring bitterness, calamity, and sorrow on their loved ones, they still despise them. What a life and world to be in. But the thing about the fool, it is not only the family that a fool will bring down, but everyone who is in their company. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The companion of fools will suffer harm. So if you are around somebody and they are a fool, guess what? You will suffer harm from the company that you keep. Now there's a difference between going to the sinner and trying to witness to the sinner and outreach to the sinner and be on mission with the sinner and keeping company with the foolish. There's a difference there because Jesus tells us to go to the sinner. He tells us to go to the ones who have sinned and not done what is right in his eyes so that we can witness. And we see that in his own life where he sits with the tax collector. He sits with the prostitute. He, he goes to the homes of sinners constantly. But when we keep a fool as company, the, the one who talks too much, doesn't listen well, always thinks that they are right, what happens is we begin to become like them. Even though we've read all of these things about the fool and who the fool is, 
there is a crowning craziness of the fool. And this is where we're going to land. Because as I, I read through all the Proverbs on this topic, there was one thing that it kept coming back to over and over and over and over again. And that is the fool's inability to receive good things, namely correction, advice, understanding, and wisdom. Whenever someone comes to try to give these things to the fool, the fool always has one response. And this is where we really see the downfall, why a fool will stay a fool. In Proverbs 17.10, it says this, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So the fool does not receive correction. I can't talk about this enough today. Uh, We've read in James, when we were going through our series in James, and we've already lightly talked about how humility is one of the most prized character traits of a godly woman or a godly man. The inability to receive correction from somebody is to think, basically, that you have arrived. To be full of pride and essentially be opposed by God. Our natural response that we have towards criticism is defensiveness. When someone comes and corrects us, a lot of times we will land in a place of being defensive. Oh, well, you got it wrong. That wasn't me. No, you, you, you're just not hearing right. Or pointing outward. Well, actually, did you know it was Sally's fault? That wasn't uh, my fault. I remember I was talking to somebody uh, that has employees under them, and after a few years of talking to this person, uh, I had begun to see a pattern that every time they hired somebody new, in six months, the employee would quit or get fired. Uh, and I sat down, and every time I talked to the person, it was the same story. Oh, they, they weren't good enough. They kept on messing everything up. Everything was in, in disarray or disorder. And after about the sixth employee, I, I, I just had to kind of throw this out there, and I was like, did you ever think that maybe it was how you were managing them rather than that every single, the six people that you've hired and fired or have quit are incompetent? That just, that doesn't align properly, but it's, no, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. No, this has nothing to do with me. It has to do with them. We don't allow patterns to emerge. I remember when this uh, happened to me, you know, I always say, like, my pre-Jesus days uh, is I was incredibly insecure. And how my insecurity manifested itself uh, a lot of times was defensiveness. And so defensiveness and insecurity are just two sides of the same coin. Uh, and so how this would happen is uh, when I was in Bible school, we had preaching classes. And, you know, when I was in Bible school, the, the head pastor for the Bible school had just this special ability uh, to just like, man, if you had any ounce of pride, it was, you were just not going to survive there. I had seen it over and over again where, where people would come, uh, and, you know, some of the ways that they removed pride, I look back on, may have been unhealthy. It was like 
relentless making fun of somebody that you knew something like was, you know, sticking home until they finally broke and walked away from that. And so in Bible school, I remember we had preaching classes and uh, they would always give you feedback after your preaching class. Um, We would go up. Uh, we would preach whatever we would preach, our 20-minute sermonettes, uh, and then we would sit down. And then at the end of class, you know, we would give each other feedback. The, uh, the, the person in charge, our, our professor would give us feedback. Uh, and, you know, at, at this point, we had gone through maybe four or five preaching classes, uh, and the feedback that I was getting, I just felt like, this is ridiculous. Like, how is this feedback helping me? Uh, oh, was, I just felt like it was overly critical and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind and all of these things. And it was because my defensive nature, my insecurity was rising up and I wanted to be the top of the class. And every time I preached, there was just something that they would tell me. It was just like, Justin, this was awful. And this is why it was awful. Uh, And so I remember one time I get up, we're doing another preaching class, and I do my 20-minute preaching spiel, and then I sit down, and the pastor at that point decides he was going to give feedback on the spot. Uh, And so as soon as I sit down, whenever you get feedback on the spot in this setting, it was not a good thing. And he gives me his feedback on the spot, and man... Did, that was not, it was not good. I don't, I honestly do not remember what I said. Uh, thank God I don't remember what I said. But I just remember getting so irate that like I was, I hit like my defensiveness and my cap for kindness just couldn't go together anymore. And my insecurity won the day and I literally just started screaming at the pastor in the middle of class. I just started screaming at him and I was just like, you know, like, I I don't think I cursed at him. You know, I think I would have been in a lot more trouble than I was uh, at the time. But I just became incredibly irate. And I was just like, you know, what the heck is your problem? You know, why are you always bringing us down? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you've ever been in that moment and you're not the person, like, upset and angry, it's just like everybody else kind of just shrunk in their seat like, ah, a little bit of an overreaction much. And it was because... All of this pent-up frustration and anger and insecurity finally could not take it anymore and blew the lid, and I was going to make sure that this guy heard a piece of my mind. And so after I was done screaming at him, you know, I did a quick survey of the room, and I was like, okay, everybody thinks I'm crazy. Uh, And so I just storm out of the place, and I leave. Uh, and I go to, I, I was interning in the church at that point, and so I go to my office. I didn't even go back uh, to the class, and it was just, you know, I, I didn't want to be in the awkwardness. You ever have a blow up, and you're just like, I can't be here anymore because everybody's going to be thinking about what I just did, and I don't want to be in the same room as them. Uh, and so I go to my office. A few hours later, somebody comes, and he, he gives me a note. He says, hey, uh, there was the pastor of our Bible school and then the pastor of the church who was over, you know, the senior pastor over all of the other guys is like, hey, uh, senior pastor uh, wants to talk to you. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, I just don't. Because the sin in my heart was glaring at that point. Uh, there, there was the, the insecurity, the defensiveness had really had its final straw, and we all knew it was going to happen. So kind of just like walking head down, uh, to his office, and I get in, and the pastor I screamed at is there, uh, and the senior pastor is there, and um, the, the, the pastor I screamed at, you know, kindly just 
sitting quietly in the corner, and the senior pastor goes, Justin, we've noticed a pattern uh, in your life, and that you are very defensive, uh, and we see deep insecurity. The pastor just said something very simple. He said, do you know that God can heal you of your insecurity? And man, I remember I just started crying uh, because I realized that I did not believe that God healed. I did not believe that God can free me of the foolish behavior in my life that uh, I constantly was living a life uh, in my head and not always out loud of insecurity, but they finally brought it to the forefront of out loud. And I remember that night God did something significant in my heart uh, because I finally had faith that, man, God can heal me of some of the wounds in my heart. And that also taught me another helpful lesson because I realized correction may not always come in helpful ways. Uh, I, to this day, even though I was wrong, I thought there were better ways to bring correction out than they did it. Um, but sometimes we will experience criticism in our life. We will have, right, everybody loves to talk about their haters. Right? People that are, man, anything I do, whether good or bad, they always got something to say. Or maybe somebody at work is incessantly talking about you to your boss or maybe to your face or to other people or, or there's somebody close to you that's just like, man, I can never do anything right in this person's eyes. Sometimes correction may not come in helpful ways, but I've learned that even in harmful criticism, I can find truth that will help me refine who I am. See, a lot of times what we'll do is we know that there's harmful criticism out there. And so whenever we receive correction, we always put it in a category of, like, this, this is not good. This is harmful. This is bad. Uh, you know, I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't want that negativity in my life. Good vibes only. I don't accept any of these bad vibes that are coming out of your mouth right now. Don't you know I am perfection? I am, I am the greatest thing since Adam and Eve. Like, there is no one better than me. And you just got to deal with my bad things and pretend it doesn't stink. But what I, what I want us is I, I want us to live a life where we can drop excuses. Because over and over again we see in Proverbs that the fool does not receive correction, does not receive rebuke. And I see that this is part of how we live in our culture these days. Where a lot of times people's intentions or internal excuses rob us from growing through correction and even criticism. And so sometimes people will say something in a mean way and or a bad way, but there's still some truth in what they said. And so a practice of the wise is to listen to what someone says, sift out, all right, they may have said it harmfully, but did they say anything that was true? Is there anything in here that could possibly, you know, was there a misinterpretation of my words? Was there a miscommunication? Could I have said something better? Could I have done it a better way? Could, could, I, could I have been, you know, kinder in this situation or more patient in this situation? Because what happens is, is when we close off our hearts to correction, when we close off our hearts to rebuke and even criticism then the fool in us begins to get stronger and stronger because only the fools do not receive 
correction. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools do not listen to advice. Uh, and I want to invite you into a very funny moment in my life when I did not listen to advice. You're about to go on a crazy train story uh, with me. Uh, this was uh, the right after I graduated high school, right? As I, I feel like your teenage years are at the pinnacle of I know it best and I know it the most and nobody is going to teach me better. And so, you know, the I've just graduated high school, and for those of you that haven't labeled me a nerd yet, you're about to label me a nerd now. Uh, I had played in high school, my addiction of choice was video games. I played video games endlessly. You know, I played as soon as I got home from school till I went to sleep, and I would wake up early in the morning to play before uh, I went to school. And I remember I would play online games, and this was before, like, it was... I don't know if there's ever a time where, like, it was a lot more, what's the word, uh, taboo to meet people that you had met online. Nowadays, you know, you meet your wife or your husband online and nobody bats a second eyelash, and that's fine. Uh, But back then, that was was not a thing that people did, especially in my, so I graduate high school. I'm about to be shipped off to Ohio for a year. And I kind of, I know that I'm going to stop playing this game that I've been playing basically Every single day for the last three years, I talked to these people for hours and hours and hours every day. So I decided I'm going to take a Greyhound bus to Pennsylvania to meet people that I had never met in person before. Uh, and yes, it, you're about to enjoy an experience with me. And uh, so I told some of my friends, and you know, even some of my friends at that point were just like, Justin, that doesn't sound right. Uh, And I remember thinking, like, my parents will never in a million, I don't even think they still know to this day that I did this. Uh, I was just thinking, my parents never in a million years. I saw their advice before, and you ever know someone's advice before you ask them, so you just bypass and think, yeah, I'm just not going to ask them. I already know what they're going to say. So I already knew what my parents were going to say. I had gotten some graduation money, and I told my parents, I was like, listen, some of my friends from high school, they are chipping in and getting a cabin in Pennsylvania, so I'm going to be away for two days. And so, you know, my, I, I didn't do a lot to not earn my parents' trust, so I, I manipulated the trust that I had in order to go away for a night. And so I purchased a Greyhound ticket, uh, I get on a bus, and I begin to go uh, to somebody I had never met, their house party, for a day. And I remember when I get there, I got into this person's house, um, and it was like one of my first experiences with rural America. Uh, I remember I went into his house, and I realized, I was like, huh, there's nowhere to put my stuff, because there's literally things everywhere. I mean, like, everywhere. It was one of the most dirty like houses that I had ever seen in my life so I was like okay I'll just leave my stuff in the backyard I don't know why you invited me to spend the night like there's nowhere to sleep there's nowhere to go and okay this is going to be interesting so I get into the backyard and as I get into the backyard uh, his uncle rolls in uh, with two just huge kegs of beer Um, and they are ready to get this party started so I start introducing myself to people and I just 
you know, incredibly ill-prepared for the journey that was about to happen. So I meet some of these people that I've been talking to for the past few years online. We're talking about nerdy things like video games and the things that had happened over the last few games, a uh, few years in this game. Uh, and then my friend, um, friend, you know, th- this guy, uh, he was like, okay, we're going to take the party to my uncle's house. And I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's like 7 o'clock, it's, it's dark or uh, getting dark. Uh, and I'm like, where does your uncle live? He's like, he lives about a half an hour from here. So everybody starts packing into cars. I pack into this guy's car, his uncle, his uncle's friend, him, his girlfriend, me in the back. And while we're driving there, the guy in the front pulls out a blunt. And he just lights it in the car, and all the windows are up. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't think this is good right now. And so he's, he, he takes a hit, and then he passes it to the uncle who's driving the car. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm just sitting in the back like, God, I don't know what the heck I just got myself into. So they pass it around. It gets to me. I'm like, no, that's all right. And they, they keep passing it around the car. And this guy is now speeding down these, like, pitch black streets in the middle of Pennsylvania where there's nobody there. And we pass a truck. Five minutes down the road, this truck, this like, you know, one of those huge pickup trucks that you you see in PA, speeds past us to an intersection, pulls over, and blocks the street. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So we stop the car that everybody, his uncle and his uncle's friend get out of the car. I just kind of get out of the car and go to the back. Apparently, they were mad that we cut them off. Uh, And so they start threatening our life. I mean, they are just like... You know, like, we're going to kill you. I have a gun in the car. And I'm in Pennsylvania, so I'm like, this guy probably does have a gun in the car. (laughs) And, you know, there's, like, five big dudes that get out of the truck. And, like, here I am, a teenager. My friend's a teenager. Uh, Think me, if you think I'm skinny now, I was about 15 pounds lighter back then. Uh, And so very scrawny. Uh, And this guy's uncle was not a big guy. He was, like, 5'3", you know. And he is... They're just, they start screaming at each other, and they're both threatening to kill each other at this point. And the friend goes, starts coming back to the trunk, and I'm like, dang, what is he going to get out of the trunk? He pops the trunk, and then all I see is my zone goes right to the uncle screaming at this one guy. And he says, you know, if you don't effing shut up, I'm going to kill you right now. You better shut up. And the guy just starts keeping, keeps on screaming at him. He's like, you better shut up. Guy keeps screaming at him. I'm like, God, just shut up. He's like, you better shut up. Keep screaming at him, and then all of a sudden, he headbutts him in the face. The other guy had just got to the car, pulls out a bat, and then starts running out. And I look at my friend, and my friend, this is his uncle, right? And he did nothing. He just stood there. And I was like, bro, this is your family, and you're not doing anything. And there's five guys beating up these two guys right here, so I'm not going to do anything. So I (laughs) sit back. (laughs) It's like, if you ain't going to even jump in for family, I don't know these people. I only know you. I'm not jumping in. So these five guys beat these two people to tar, throw them in the woods, get in the car, and then leave. And then they, they like, kind of get out, you know, straggling, get in the car, relight another blunt, and then start driving back to the house. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? We get to this guy's house. The party just getting started. More people start coming. They, you know, they bring out the ping pong table for beer pong. You know, they, they, everybody's smoking craziness. I mean, I've, I've never seen something like this in my life. It was absolute mayhem. 
The uncle, he takes me to the basement. I, at this point, I was like, I had enough. I'm in the basement. I'm by myself. My introvert self, like, didn't know what was going on. Uh, and so I'm sitting in the basement. He comes down, he, and he comes. He goes, Justin, he's, he's already pretty drunk. He goes, it is my mission tonight to get you drunk. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, he's like, you're in my house, so these are my rules. And so I'm going to, he went and got some Grey Goose from the, from the refrigerator, puts a shot glass on the table, fills up one for himself, gets another one, fills it up for me. He takes it and he says, now you better take that right now. I'm going to hurt you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Took the shot. Put it down on the table. So then, now mind you, I've never had liquor in my life at this point. And I was like, what the hell is going on in my, there's this burning sensation in my chest. And so then he fills up both shot glasses again, and I just, I say a prayer at this point. I know I'm like far outside of the grace of God in my life, and I'm just like, God, please, I don't want to get drunk tonight. Can you get this man out of here? And so all of a sudden, somebody calls him. They're like, I don't remember his name. And he's like, oh, we'll finish this later. And I was like, I hope we don't. So he leaves the room. He goes up. And they, you know, the, the, the party just keeps on getting crazier. At some point, uh, you know, I'm looking at people where they're using the bathroom in their house, and I'm like, that's not a toilet, but okay. There's this one guy that went outside to use the bathroom and never came back. They found him asleep in the bushes, you know, the next morning. I mean, this is like, so I, I'm like, all right, I had enough. I go into the guy's house. I'm just like, I don't know where to go to sleep. So I get my book bag, and I just fall asleep in his living room. Uh, I wake up the next morning. Everybody's kind of waking up. They call the pizza delivery person. And this is where I was like, what a, what a crazy, I mean, this is nuts. The pizza delivery, they call Domino's, right? They all order pizza. They all got munchies from the night before. The delivery guy comes, and they're all sitting around in a circle. And I don't know how this conversation happened, but all I know is the delivery guy goes, give me one second. He runs to his car and comes back with a huge bag of weed. And then sits down for a half an hour and smokes weed with all of them while he eats the pizza that he just delivered. <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, seriously, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I remember this was in two days I was going to Ohio after this. And my, the whole point of me going to Ohio is for me to figure out whether God was real or not. But I was like, God, thank you for this experience. Before I went, because I remember getting on the Greyhound, going home, getting my house. My parents asked, you know, how was, how was the trip with your friends? And I was just like, oh, we had a great time, you know, nothing, nothing really happened, you know. And I just go lay in my bed just thinking, what? And I'm just happy that I'm home and I am alive. <laughs> and that, that, now this may seem over the top of an analogy, but a lot of times we may not get ourselves in physical situations like that, but we get ourselves in spiritual, we get ourselves in emotional, and even physical crazy situations because we have played the fool in our life and we just don't listen to advice. We just don't listen to, there are, there are reasons why people say don't do this. The reason why people say don't do this and they say this isn't good for you is because maybe they've been there, done that, and they know you can learn from my foolishness how you don't have to live a life of foolery. Or they have seen other people walk this life and they've seen where the path has led. God's mercy on me 
was not giving me what I deserved that weekend and many, many times over. I should have gotten beat up. She should have crashed. I, I, I should have been drunk, and God knows what would have happened after that. But he had mercy on me, and I thank God. There may be times in your life where you have done some foolish stuff, and you can look back and say, God, you had mercy on me. If you, if you wonder what mercy, mercy is when you don't get something you deserve. So there may be things that you've done in your life that were really foolish, and you deserve the fruit, to eat the fruit of what you've done, but you didn't get it. That was God having mercy on you. But our culture has sayings like this, like, I'm going to do me. And, and these sayings rip through all of us, and, and they, it's just like when I, when I hear stuff like that, I'm thinking, do you know what you're saying? You are, you are broadcasting your foolishness to the world. When you, when you say, I'm going to do me, because other people are telling you to, you shouldn't do that, but you're still going to do what you want to do. You want to do what you think is best. What you are broadcasting is you're really saying, well, I'm just a fool. I'm going to live the life of a fool. How many times have I said, I know better than them. I know better than what they're going to do. I know better than who they are, and I am going to do me. And every time I found myself in foolish situations one after another. In Proverbs 12, 15, it says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And this is the crowning achievement of the fool. The fool does what is right in their own eyes. This is the very center of foolish living. It's why we reject advice. It's why we don't receive correction. And we see that how this plays out in the sin of Israel. The sin of Israel in the book of Judges, as you read the book, it becomes very, very clear. You know, in the very beginning of the book of Judges, you get great judges. They listen to God, they judge justly, and they lead the people in the right way. But one after another, you begin to realize that there's a pattern. That not only is there another judge that comes along, but each and every judge that comes along seems to twist more and more scripture and not know who God is. And more and more you see that they live more sinful behaviors in sinful lives. And it all culminates to Samson who lived an incredibly addicted, lustful, non-God-fearing life. And so after Samson, there's this saying that repeats itself over and over again in Judges. And it's this, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And what Judges is speaking about is it's speaking about the nation of Israel where everybody began to do what was right in their own eyes. And what happens after that is if you think my story was crazy, then I want to encourage you, go home, read Judges 17 to 20. And what you will read is one of the craziest stories that you will ever read in your entire life. It is crazier than Really, I think anything that Hollywood has put out. I mean, it goes through a story of murder, of civil war, of rape, of sexual abuse. It is absolutely mind-blowing that when you're reading this, this is a story of the people of God. But yet, here they were, living as fools, because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is the spirit of the age today. That when we hear advice, when we hear wisdom, when we read scripture, we take it with a grain of salt. And we, when we read scripture, we think, I will read that, 
I will only listen to it if it aligns with what I like and what I want to do. I will listen to your advice only if I like what you have to say. See, a lot of times when we look for advice, what we're doing is we're not actually looking for advice. We're looking for people to affirm what we've already established in our heart to do. And what happens is when we begin to live out this life that we do what is right in our own eyes, then we live the life of a fool. We bring destruction, calamity, and craziness in every angle with us. Romans 1 says this, that when we do what is right in our own eyes, that this is how God will respond. He will give us over to our passions. See, a lot of people talk about the wrath of God, and they, they talk about maybe, man, I'm, I'm going to be struck by lightning. Or, you know, I, when I come in the church, I'm just going to be enveloped in a ball of fire. Or God is just going to throw me, you know, a million sea, feet into the, into the sea, and, and everybody will forget me. But really, that is, is not the worst that can happen. The worst that can happen, as we read in Romans 1, is God can leave you to exactly what you want to do. God can say, you know what? You desire these things. You, you go against the ways that I have called you to live. You go against the ways that I have called you to be. You, you know my word. You hear my word. But you do not do my word. Okay. Hands off. I will give you over. I will give you over to your lust. I will give you over to your desires. I will give you over to your dreams. I will give you over to your goals. Let me tell you, that is the scariest place to be. There are a few times in my life where I have been in habitual sin and I began to no longer sense conviction. And let me tell you, those have been some of the scariest times. Because I thank God you're giving me over now to this. Your spirit is no longer drawing me back. It, it, I, I, and it's just kind of this speechlessness of, man, if you're letting me be, I, I don't know how I'm going to live. God will say that if you want it so bad, you can have it. See, the culmination of the fool is to think that we are wiser than God. That we know better than him. That even though he's the creator, even though he is the one that essentially wrote the instruction guide or the manual, if you want to live well, do this. We say, actually, I know better. You know, it's the, the classic example of the watch telling the watchmaker the watch knows what it should do best. We would see a scenario like that and think that's crazy. And that's what it looks like when we tell God, I know what is best for my life. I know how to live my life. I know what is good for me. Right? This, this feels good. This seems good. And what happens is when we do that is we are living the culmination of the fool in our life. 
and we are doing what is right in our own eyes. We are rejecting advice. We are not listening to correction. We are not allowing the wisdom and the understanding of people who have gone before us to speak into us. What we are saying is, actually, I am self-sufficient. I know what is good. I understand what is best, and I will do me. And the God that we serve is not actually the God of the Bible, but it is an idol that we have constructed in our own image. And we begin to bow down and praise ourselves rather than the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, some of us have been living in our foolishness for a while, thinking it's just my way of life. Like I was when I was insecure and I thought, man, this is just who I'm always going to be. Maybe it's been that you've always had a fast temper. Maybe you've never been good at correction or receiving a rebuke. Maybe you just usually think you're right and you think everybody else is dumb around you. Maybe you just like to learn the hard way. You always have been somebody that prides yourself in going through the school of hard knocks. And the hard way was your way. But we read something last week that I want to bring our attention back to. And it's Proverbs chapter 8, verse 5. It says, O simple ones learn prudence, O fools learn sense. See, the truth is that even if we have walked in foolish ways, wisdom is still calling to us. Wisdom is still searching us out. It is looking to find us. So even if we have said, well, this is the way that I've lived my life. These are the ways that I have thought about who I am. This is what I do. This is, in essence, we are saying this is who I am. Well, we have to learn something today. That we don't have to live this way our entire life. That we serve a God who is there at the very beginning, the very foundations of the earth, when all of the things that we have today were created, but he is also here with us now, ready to bring healing. I remember that night after I had given that sermon and shouted at the pastor and went to his office and he told me, Justin, you don't have to live like this anymore. I realized that I had thought this was part of my personality. This is who I was. For the rest of my life, I was going to live with this insecure voice in the back of my head that hated when people corrected me, did not listen to any criticism, and always became defensive whenever I was in an environment like that. And I thought, I will just live with this, but I will try to hide it. But something happened when that pastor said that to me, that I went back and I prayed, and there was a faith that God can heal, that this is actually not how he created me to be, that this is not who Justin Matera in the eyes of the creator was, that when I looked in the mirror, I was still looking through the lens of myself, through my own worldly, fleshly eyes, but I had not begun to look at myself through the creator's eyes of someone who was actually confident in who he was created to be, who can listen to a criticism or a critique and not crumble apart because of it who didn't always have a nagging voice in the back of his head saying, I want everybody to like me all the time. And what happened that night in service during worship as I went up to pray and to worship, I remember God going into my heart and bringing back all of these memories of my childhood. And it felt like somebody was sewing up different parts of my heart. 
And he was saying, you remember that? You're healed. You remember that? You're healed. And it, it, it was the craziest thing because at that point, 18 years of brokenness, 18 years of doing things one way, 18 years of hearing people talk a certain way about me came and flashed one after another in my mind. And God said, I'm healing you of all this. You are no longer going to be this person. You are going to be who I have created you to be. And so it's really easy to look at the fool, look at the foolish things that we do in our life and think, man, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I, I have been doing this for a long time. There's no way I'm ever going to get over this habit or this behavior or, or be able to allow God to change my heart and who I am. And I, I want to dispel that right now. And say, God of the universe, creator of heavens and earth, you gave me life. You can heal my heart. Can you stand with me to pray?